This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. Wow, I sound like a newscaster. I'm Kara Clank. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Lisa Traeger with the traffic update. The <laughs> outbound Edens is bumper to bumper this cold Tuesday morning. Um, yeah, it's um, we're excited. We talk SVU true crime and I do have huge news. I did beat Super Mario 3. I did beat it. Dun, the, dun, dun, dun. the quest Huge. that started when I was a child finished decades later. Do you feel a little bit like there's something missing in your life now? No, I feel so excited I beat it. Like it I like beating Bowser felt so good. And it was hard. Like the fact of the matter is in that final castle, there is like a um a secret life that you can get. So like you're not gonna lose lives. You have enough. It took me dozens of times. Like, Bowser in that final one is really hard. It was for me, at least. Uh, but I did it. And then the prize you get when you beat it is um, it starts over and you get unlimited P-wings. And a P-wing is a thing that you can use. It's like a special thing um, where it's a permanent wing. You don't have to run to fly. You could just fly. You just fly. And so you get to like, if something's really hard, you can miss it. So then I played the game with unlimited P-Wings. Being strategic, of course, you need a hammer suit sometimes. But I beat it like so fast. Like I was a YouTube person. Like I- You were a YouTube person? You were on Twitch. People were watching you. They were tipping yeah. you. It was like happening. I've just, I just was never in a zone like that where I just was dominating. And maybe it was the cockiness. Like I was cocky too because I had just beat it. And now I have unlimited P-wings a lot. Like I just, um, I just felt- uh, 
That's amazing. On top of the world. So now I'm, uh, I started yeah, Yoshi's so what's the next? Island. I started Yoshi's oh, Island. Oh, that's so funny because Rosie, you know, I told you we have Super Nintendo, the little one that comes loaded with all the games. Rosie's been playing Yoshi's Island with Jared. Oh. And Kirby. She loves Kirby. <laughs> I love Kirby, but learning a whole new universe seems hard to yeah. me. She's not really, I mean, she's bit, like, he's just teaching her how to play and it's really cute. Like, and Yoshi's Island was like, I love the little sound when Yoshi sticks out his tongue and it's like, Ka-ching! like, I don't know, I'm not doing it right. But like, I was watching them play and it was really cute. And I had not really known about Yoshi's Island. So look, everyone's playing. You I have Rosie, once again, connected. <laughs> I know. But also, do you like the baby Mario? Like, Yoshi has a little baby Mario on him. Yeah, but also I never saw this before because I don't remember Yoshi can shit out eggs. Like Rosie kept, like it's Jared kept- weird. Being, it's Jared weird. Jared kept going, I'm, press down, poop out an egg. And Rosie was like, yes, I'm doing it. Like, I was <laughs> like, what's happening? They get eggs. It's really, um, it's, it is silly for sure. I'm stuck on a really hard level though. So I did buy the new Mario, Mario Odyssey, Wonder, Mario. I hate it. The new game, there's so much reading. You just keep having to go, hey, hey. like, I don't want to read. I don't want to read. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm me- never a reader. <laughs> Even with board games and stuff, I'm always like, let's just start and figure it out. Like, I kind of, like, hate, like, all of the, this, for, stop for a second and read this whole disclaimer before we go on. Like, I hate it. Yeah, I don't want to read. But Yoshi, I can't believe Rosie's playing. I got to play with Rosie. I want to play Yoshi's Island yeah, with her. Yeah, come play on our little Super Nintendo. Uh, yeah, I'm stuck on this. Uh, I can't. I can't get out of this deep gem world. I don't know. <laughs> oh, also, so I was in Portland opening up for my friend Mateo, um, who's killing it. I mean, he's so famous. I said his name to the hotel clerk because I was going to go up to his hotel room, and the clerk next to her went <gasps> gasped and turned her head fast. We went out to eat and you could just tell the servers are just like smiling. They are gooning in the words of Katya and Trixie. (laughs) It is is really fun. People get really excited to see him. Um, His crowds are great, but you hate indoor pools. Yeah. And let me tell you, I think you'd like the one at the Ritz-Carlton in Portland. Okay. I'll tell you well, that I don't think I've ever been to an indoor Ritz-Carlton <laughs> pool. I'm talking Dude. Holiday Inn indoor pools. Dude, it's on the 19th floor. And then the whole, there's no ceiling. It's all windows. You see the mountains of Port. I've never seen Portland so beautiful. Okay, all I'll take glass it. shining in. It is an infinity pool still too. So it looks like it's the shine. Oh I mean, and of course a hot tub, but the ceilings were so high. I took a video for you and I made Mateo take photos. Cause I was like, I have to show care of this indoor pool. We got to make it to the Ritz. Like we, we got to, we got to. one of these days. Portland, yeah. buy those tickets. Just kidding. We don't even have a date in Portland right now. Um, but also but- the, but the dining was too high. We're like, do you want to just get dessert after the show? I go, you know what? I'd love to split a cheesecake. Let's go. But it was like mushroom fungi ice cream and champagne glitters. Like, it oh, was, no, no. <laughs> we had like a pumpkin thing with noodle th- It's just like uh, we weren't in the mood for fine dining, which if we were, maybe we wouldn't. Be. But it felt like the menu. It felt like the menu, the way we were being yeah. talked to, like that movie. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. When you were like, hopefully they're not going to murder me. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And that sounds so fun. Oh my gosh. I just, I'm so happy for Matteo, all the success he's found. You know, he and I used to just go to dinner and speak Italian together. Yes, of course. I love that. That came up. That came up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, amore. Like, I love him so much. Uh, but 
I, wait, can I just really randomly change the subject? Because I wanted to say something that just came to my attention from some viewers, some listeners. Yeah. Remember how we just covered surveillance a couple of weeks ago? Zoe Deschanel, the star. Okay. So Not Zoe. Come on. I'm She's sorry. Her own sorry. Person. Sorry. Should I take that again? Sorry, no. Emily. No, you disrespected no, her. Let everyone hear mistake. it. <laughs> I'm sitting in my mistake. I said, Zoe, I meant Emily. I meant Emily Deschanel. Emily Deschanel, you know, the guy's stalking her. They go to an internet cafe and a little kid is like on the internet computer and he's like, what? This guy was just sitting here. I'm just looking at his stuff. And he's like looking. That's fucking Nicholas Braun, the guy who plays Cousin Greg on Succession. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you know, I love IMDb. I love to look up everybody. What's I didn't his look name? up this little kid. His name's Nicholas Braun. And in the show, he's literally just billed as kid. Like, it must have been one of his first roles of all time. And like, literally, I think he was in one TV he's... movie and then he was in SVO. It's so funny because he has these big chipmunk cheeks in when he's a kid. He, I mean, it's so cute. Oh yeah. my God. Well, I haven't seen Succession. And like Succession started almost 20 years later. I mean, I've seen the first three episodes. So I know I who his character is. We're in the time machine. Get the fuck over it, anyone listening. But I think over the holiday break, maybe I'll get into Succession. Maybe I'll just binge I want to try it again because I feel like I tried it right after I had Rosie and I was like, these people are so evil and like this is not evil but like I don't care about these people they're all like selfish fucks but I want to try it again because like I mean obviously I love Seinfeld and that's kind of the same premise well you know what I really love is someone was telling me I read a whole article not someone was telling it was probably on Vulture but it was about how in in succession nobody eats because eating's for poor people like the like they're so rich that the whole idea is like, we can eat whenever food is abundant. So I don't need yeah. to eat this. And they kind right. of judge people for eating at a party or an event. Like that's looked down upon. And yeah. I just thought that that is such attention to detail that this show must be out of this world. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that is such character. That is... um impressive thought process. Like, I gotta I gotta watch that. No, I mean, when it was ending, people were like, one of the of greatest course. shows of all time. I mean, like, the acclaim for it, people were obsessed. I think I just caught it at the wrong time. Like, I just had a baby and was like, this isn't for me. But I'm looking right now on his little um, IMDb. He was just in 2022, the voice of someone named Cousin Greg in a Simpsons episode. Oh, my In an episode God. called Meat is Murder. Dude, so I, I just found an article. It's um, a photo of him with Maloney. I'm sure all the listeners know since they're the ones who told us. But he wrote, it was a very exciting role I played. I think a character without a name, boy in internet cafe. Because <laughs> <laughs> those existed at the time. He goes, I was looking at a video of a woman who got murdered or assaulted because that's the show. And then Christopher Maloney and Ice-T, I think, come and sit down. Why? Yeah, we know all this. Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> we know the episode, <laughs> sure. So he said Christopher Maloney didn't think um, that the kid was get that he was getting scared enough because they were cops. So every time he would sit down, he would pinch him in the ribs. <laughs> so my- <laughs> And he goes, every taken at the end of the day, um, he thought he did badly because there were so many pinches. But in, uh, yeah, I just, I love that. That's such a good little find, a little Easter. You know what I heard from our friend Lauren that you were talking about me at a party about how I won't shut up about Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, from Lauren Cook? 
Yeah. Well, no, I said, I just said, like, somebody brought up Taylor Swift and I go, well, you guys know Lisa's obsessed. Like, I'm now a fan through osmosis. Like, I like I know every single thing that's going on with them because of um, Lisa. Well, there was a new was... cheek kiss. They look cute. She touched his face with her hand. I like it. What I mean, <laughs> someone I know just posted, like, a screenshot of their Apple stories and it was like, Gaza, Ukraine. Cute cheek kiss between Taylor and, and, and Travis. Yeah. And it was like, the, those were the three top stories on Apple for the day. That's what Which, we need. You know, we need it. We need it. Look, the world is dark. There's a lot going on. We need a little cheat kiss. I think that this relationship couldn't have come at a better time for a lot of people. I am obsessed with Taylor, but we don't have to talk about her today. But also, <laughs> I've been so in my head about Taylor that I was with some people and Casey Musgrave started playing Slow Burn. And I went... Oh, yeah, I like other people, too. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> and so I listened to some Casey Musgraves, and um, her voice is gorgeous. I mean, she is yeah. so good. She's and she's great. a pothead, you know, so I, I do like that. I'd love to get, I would love to get high with Casey Musgraves A little high with Casey. Okay, wait, we have not talked in a little bit, and I know this is Time Machine. This is so old. We apologize, what? guys. Time machine days are behind us. We've not talked about the weed dinner on Beverly Hills. Wow. Thank you for bringing I mean, that up. I just... Yeah. We're obviously going to talk about the weed dinner and I'm going to be so happy about it. But I do want to say, Larsa Pippen, you're scum. You're worse than <laughs> scum. You are the worst person that's ever been on television. And I want I want you off... I, I, I can't... I've never been so sickened. I literally Ever. yesterday got my hair colored by this girl. I was talking to her for three hours and I kept bringing up Housewives and she, I was like, wait, do you watch? And she's like, no. And I go, oh my God, I'm so sick. Like, I just keep bringing up people to you that you don't even know. And I go, but do you know who Larsa Pippen is? And she was like, yeah. She said, one of my clients is friends with her and says she's so sweet, but, but then said one other thing. And I go, I don't, she's not sweet. She's a bad person. Like I, I told her all about the Gertie of it all. And I was like, they're, like basically if you're not a listener, I know we're, we're talking in code to you if you're not at Bravo ahead like we are. Basically, Scottie Pippen's ex-wife, Larsa Pippen, who is now a Real Housewives of Miami, found out from another castmate that she had cancer, said, please don't tell anyone. This woman, Larsa, told everybody in the group. And then Six when hours later. Six hours when, later. When confronted, said, you never told me not to tell anyone, which it's on fucking camera that you did. Also, if somebody tells you, I really didn't want you to tell my cancer story to everyone, you go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I was thinking I would rally everyone around you, but in retrospect, that was the worst idea. I'm so sorry. She just was like, I was trying to get people behind you. Like, you were going to tell everybody anyway. She's horrible. She's unrepentant asshole. She goes, you're welcome. I mean, to fucking accuse someone of faking cancer when they are crying, asking for compassion, and it is... It is beyond to me. Yeah. And at BravoCon, Andy gave her the floor to redeem herself and look and back. She and did she did not. And she couldn't. She, and it's like you, you're dating Michael Jordan's son. You are twisted. And you know, the rumor of the Kardashian thing is there's an episode that Scott Disick has, or someone that Chloe was, someone, I think it was Scott, had like, um, a skank in the bathroom locked up. Like he was cheating or fucking someone he shouldn't. And Kim in Vegas was like, I'm going to fucking see who it is and open, like got into the bathroom and it was Larsa Pippen is the rumor. Like, what? I don't think, yeah, that's just a rumor. I mean, I don't know if that's Reddit, you know, uh, but Larsa, like, 
Jen Shaw is in jail for defrauding the elderly. I'd rather visit her in jail than even look at Larsa Pippen in the eyes. Brooks, Brooks from OC lied about having cancer. I'd rather suck his dick than see Larsa <laughs> Pippen. That is how I feel. I am like, I am, to do that to Gertie, I can't. I really, I really am upset. I'm really upset by. But yeah, it's just, it's really upsetting. And we've never seen someone, a housewife like this, deal with, honestly, these women show us their their whole lives. They do. They really do. Kyle, back to Beverly Hills. Let's go positive. We dinner. We have Denise Richards fucked out of her mind, wearing a jacket backwards, confronting people. Like, I was like, I kept going, oh spot. my God, oh my God, rewinding it, making Jared watch. He doesn't even care. I was like, you got to see this. This is so insane. Like just the whole, the whole thing where she was going, Erica, you know. Okay, so if, again, if you don't know, this is just all the women from Real Housewives of, of Beverly Hills go to somebody's house. All the, By the way, it should be called the Real Housewives of Encino. None of them live in Beverly Hills. They're at Kyle's house in Encino and they're having a <laughs> weed dinner where like the, it's like a, a, a top-notch chef is Who making is hot. food. He was hot. Yeah. And he's making them like delicious gourmet food with THC in it, which like I've eaten, I've had weed dinners before. Like it's, you get so high, it's so fun. Um, it's dangerous because you keep eating because you're high and then you just keep getting more high. Like wh when I did that one time, it was one of the highest I've ever been in my life. But they, they go, I would recommend 10 milligrams for you. And all they go around and take all the women's orders and they're like, I'll do five, I'll do five. Dorit goes, I'll do one. I go, one is like you're standing next to a person smoking a joint. Like, stop it, Dorit. Like, don't even do anything if you're going to do one. And I would Denise do 10. Richards, of course I would do 10. Yes. Do what the guy suggests. Like, they're all just trying to act like on camera. Like, we well, not oh all God, of them. I'd never. Well, no, yeah. Because then Sutton lights a joint at the table. Like, it Which was, was so, so for attention. Because it's like, are you honestly saying that well, I know, Lisa, you're like this. You prefer the burn of the joint, but I don't think Sutton Strack. I'm like, if you just want to get high, just eat the food. Why are you lighting up a joint? You're like trying to get attention. I would never just light up a joint at a dinner table in someone's home. I'm sure she asked off camera. I don't think so. They all looked confused. But it's just so rude. Like Sutton's all about manners. I feel like I do. I I have the feeling that she said I was told I could. I thought she said something like that. So I was like, okay, so but still, you're doing it so perform performance. But then Denise Richards, who is not on the show anymore and hasn't been on the show in two years, is at the dinner, comes with Camille Grammer, Kelsey Grammer's ex-wife. Again, if you're not watching these shows, I don't know what's wrong with you. Listen to our description. It's amazing. Like, Charlie Sheen's ex-wife shows up with Kelsey Grammer's ex-wife that are both former cast members. And they, Denise is like, drunk, on pills, something's up. Because I heard her order. She didn't order any of the THC. She said she didn't want any. So she wasn't high. I she bet was it was pills. I bet it was pills up. and alcohol. Yeah. It's pills and alcohol to me always. And so, and she's calling Erica out, Erica Jane, for something that she did, but won't say what it is. And it's just like, you know, you know, you know what you did. Watch the show. Watch the show. Breaking the fourth wall, talking about the show. And then... Uh, Erica apologizes and she goes, thank you, you're welcome. <laughs> Denise says, thank you and you're welcome to herself. And then they cut right to the chef going, yo, Denise Richards is so fucked up right now. <laughs> that whole like two minutes made me laugh so hard. 
Well, because um, what was the other franchise I was watching? They're all mixed up in my head. I'm so sorry. But the driver kept being like, what? Like there was so much fighting in the Sprinter van and they just kept, they had a camera on on this like jolly driver. Was it the Bermuda? Kept... Was it when they were in Bermuda was on in Salt Bermuda. Lake? Yeah. He was hot too. All of these dudes, the chef, the driver, <laughs> they're really like, bringing it. But to the point where no one knew what she was going on, she just kept going, you know what you did. You know what you did. It was wild. But then later, Dory just goes, I think your jacket's on backwards. And that, I mean... Her jacket was upside down. Which it was. is so funny because inside out, it's like we could all do that. Upside down? Yeah. She couldn't find the collar of the jacket. It was upside down. Her arms like... Her arms must have felt weird in the holes. That's not the way the holes are supposed to go. It was, and she just kept going, don't do this. I know what you're doing. Don't do this. Like she was so fucked up. It was crazy. It was incredible. But also Sutton, you're a bad friend. Kyle is being honest. Obviously something's going on in her life. And I don't know why you're getting so much pleasure out of pushing her like this. No, she's being a psycho. Like be you kind, gotta back your off. Friend. Yeah, you gotta back off when somebody says I can't. And also, what they're not, ta- what they don't talk about yet in the show that I think they're going to talk about is like Kyle recently lost one of her best friends who took their own life, yes. and like they're That's not talking we- about it. And it's all, but it's like you know that Sutton, and you're like, I, I get you're trying to make good TV, but you're like accosting this woman about hiding things from you, and it's like she's just going through some shit right now. It's crazy. It really, it, they're being really bad friends. And I I mean, the the information about her friend, I think that's why she's done with Mauricio. I think he couldn't support. Yeah. I think he like decided to travel and become wealthy instead of yeah. being there for That's what wife. I've been reading as well. But anyway, if you're not going to watch anything, just pop on this weed dinner episode of Beverly Hills and just feast your eyes, have a good time, light up a joint in the middle of someone's house. But, or if you want to, we've talked, the Salt Lake City episodes in Tri- at Trixie Motel have are also very joyful to me. But yes. um, I hate Sutton, but I think Name Em, Name em is going to go down in history. Yeah. Totally. Start There's something this episode. Oh, yeah, sorry. let's get to it, guys. We're no, we're not, we're not a Bravo podcast, but we should be. Um, just a heads up for those of you that listen to That's Messed Up and SVU podcast on the Apple Podcast app, which I know is a few of you. There have been some new changes with the iOS 17 update. Apple has paused downloads on podcasts if your phone's running out of storage or if you haven't listened in a while. So just make sure there's available space so that you can continue to get our episodes every week and like listen regularly and don't miss new shows. So just go over to Apple and click the follow button and then get your storage situation cleaned up and the new episodes will be automatically downloaded every week so you never miss a minute of us. Let's get started. We've got a hot episode going back into the vault. Um, Unfortunately, today's episode is called Baby Killer. So nothing positives happening here, you know? This is a real get ready to get sad episode. (laughs) Yeah, from the title on, we have November 2000, and it is wild. Maybe it's a little trite to discuss, but I am like, holy shit, I've lived like a long time. I know. I'm like, November of 2000, I was on my semester abroad, just like living it up. I was in high school or college. No. Junior high? Yeah, high school, at least high school, not college. Yeah, I graduated high school I was in, in 05, college. so like eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I was, um, yeah. 
This girl gave on my on my 20th birthday, which was right before this episode aired, I this girl on my semester abroad program gave me her license and it was it was her real license from New Jersey, but I'm 6 inches taller than her and her name was Dana I don't. I'll, I won't say her full name, but she had this very like Scaramucci like last name, like very Italian. And in her thing, she's kind of like squinting and like looks kind of like pouty. So every time I would go to a bar, I would like stare off into the distance, like trying to look pouty and squinty. Like, I mean, you can't see me right and now. And did I'm it sorry. work? This is not a visual. Oh yeah, most of the time it worked because it's like it's a lot better to use a fake ID, a real ID that's not you, because it's really hard to be like that's not you unless it's glaring. Yeah, you know we had sort of similar hair color and skin tone. It's like everyone takes a weird picture every now and then, you know. I used my sister's ID, um, who is ten years older than me, but it only got rejected twice. <laughs> but. Yeah. Like, so funny. They were like, yeah, you're 29. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. But twice it was like, you got to get out of here. And I was like, true, <laughs> true, true, true. We did one time make our friend Sophia use, like, a fake ID that was a man's, and it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> well, before I had this girl Dana's, I had one that was not me, not real, and expired from Vermont. Oh, so that didn't work at all, or sometimes it did. Uh, it would work in Connecticut sometimes if they just didn't pay attention to the expiration. And that was another one where I was squinting because the girl's really squinty. She's high as hell in her photo, and I'm, like, squinting. I mean, you know, the things we did. The things but we anyway, did. But okay. anyway, we were babies, and this episode's called Baby Killer, yeah. so let's keep just going. Seeing, <laughs> we, you know, we write down the air date, and just seeing 2000 is, like, it's also my favorite time in music history. So I was just thinking that. I was like, this is a time where Britney is thriving. We're really loving life musically. No, and this is another— Okay, sorry, we were talking about Taylor Swift before we started recording. It is in my brain forever. But that's another thing, watching all these YouTube— she was, She's been so young. You know, it, like the Taylor, the Miley's, you know, some of our girls have really like been able to thrive through their teen and young years, which a yeah. lot of our other pop stars have not been able to do. And that's like so impressive. Forget how young these people are. When you watch them in arenas and they're teenagers. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. Um, okay, so back to Baby Killer. It's recess time. The kids are having a ball. They're in their jackets. There's actually a lot of balls. There's a basketball, a soccer ball, and a red rubber ball. So um, <laughs> a lot of balls. And the teacher breaks up a fight over a ball, of course, and then notices there's problems at the gate with some unsavory men, I would say. Um, and they're talking through young children through a gate. So obviously we don't like that and it can't be good. And then a man in a bandana calls her a bitch. And and doesn't like being asked to leave the school playground, which to me seems, you know, fair. Um, she gets on her walkie-talkie <laughs> radio for some backup before, bang, we hear a gunshot and children screaming back at the playground. The teacher, who we find out later, is the principal. She runs back and sees a dead young child in a pink coat, and she's bleeding, and it's really sad, and um, the principal is screaming, help, help me, please, and the camera pans out, and it's just her and the kid, and everyone is gone, and it's just like a very solemn, sad um, cement area. And then we cut to a sad Cragen face. He's looking at the squad and they're in a real casual boy band formation, if I've ever seen one. Um, <laughs> they're standing, kneeling, squatting, like they're all in different heights. Levels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fully like ready to swoon us. Um, <laughs> and it's all, it's Benson, Munch, Stabler, and Finn. And this is in a steampunk era, I would say. Um, there's a vest. There's silk ties. It's really, he's yeah. like 
the villain, is it from Hunchback of Notre Dame? Like, he just, hold on, no. I'm not sure. He's like a step away from a monocle here, though. <laughs> it's just like to be in the movie Wild Wild West. It's definitely not the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I, did, I am messing <laughs> up my references. Wild Wild West is a good, yeah, that's a good comparison. It's just so funny. Like, I just can't imagine a guy who is in narcotics forever, grew up in New York, it would be wearing s- vests and undershirts. Like, I'm just so curious at this um, and how he was able to transition out of that, you know, was with his seniority. Yeah. Whatever. He breaks the news. There was a shooting at PS 387 in East Harlem. Six-year-old girl died at the scene. They're bringing up the shooter now. Munch is like, why would we be talking to the shooter right now? The brass thinks we're better equipped to handle him. Stabler says, bring on the pervert. And then we see a little child walk in. He is small. He is the killer. And then there's like two giant cops behind him. You can't even see their faces. They're really like showing you how tiny this kid is with the camera. And then we jump to the credits, of course. I don't know how you can. He's so cute, this kid. Yeah, like a cute child killer. Okay, so Benson asks Munch, does that look like a cold-blooded killer to you? Cragen asks if there's any luck getting the parents. And wildly, they both called in sick to work and can't be found. Mm. Finn does a walk-by question. Can you even charge a seven-year-old with murder? And yes, he just made the cutoff. Two panicked people run into the squad room. So the man I know from Sex in the City, he played William and he was the wee guy. He like kept lying to Samantha, like, we'll go to the Hamptons. We'll do this. You know what Oh, I mean? yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's him. He's also a ballet teacher in center stage. I don't know if that was like um, a moment for you or not. And uh, Yeah, for sure. I remember watching center stage a lot. And then also a season six episode of SVU called The Game. So the mom is Sarah Ramirez, who is famous for playing Che Diaz. We'll probably haunt them for the rest of their career. And so... That's in Just Like That. We They're in the episode of SVU called Chameleon. We have covered it based on Eileen Warnos. And then most importantly, over 250 episodes of Grey's Anatomy and full series regular in like a handful of other shows. They are working and Che Diaz will be on the tombstone. Like I, yeah. I <laughs> everything... Sarah has done is overshadowed by this nightmare they've created. And it's just so memed. Like, it's just the most memed character they've done. And yeah, it's history, baby. It is, but, you know, famously, I read this one thing that was like, this is actually the most accurate portrayal of a comedian. Comedians are the most insufferable, annoying people on the planet. (laughs) And this is totally in line with every comedian I've ever met. And it was like this gawker piece or something like that. Which I did think was funny. There was a moment when Sarah was like in bed doing the cameos, Che Diaz, where I was like, this is psycho. You wouldn't leave the room to do it in the living room. But I could see this happening for someone. (laughs) I can see it. Also, we're birthday twins, August 31st. So that's pretty thrilling for us. Um, So anyways, wildly, both his mom and dad had small parts in the musical Chicago the movie as well. So maybe they met on that set. Who knows? Uh, But they're stressed. Benson turns around to help them in her short pixie cut glory. They say, we're here for our son, Elias. He's been involved in a shooting. She's like, why aren't we at the hospital? Is he dead? She's crying. And she's like, oh, there's a misunderstanding, babe. Your son was actually the shooter. The dad doesn't own a gun. The mom is stunned. Stabler's like, well, where does he have access to a gun? And they're like, he's either at home, school, or the sitters. The babysitter's name is Mrs. Strahd. Yeah, reminds me of Erica Strada 
just because. Um, they it asked, is a, I think it's Estrada too, the last it's name. It's not. Because- No? No, I have the captions on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought I heard that. Yeah, because I think it's Mandela effect because of Eric Strada. Or I think about the family Stone when she cooks the Strada. Wait, Eric, isn't it Eric Estrada? I don't know. Yeah, it's Eric Estrada is the actor. Exactly, but I think that's why we... That's why, yeah, yeah, It's fucking us up here. Yeah. But it's Mrs. Estrada. But that's also the egg dish that Carrie, uh, that Sarah Jessica Parker does at the Family Stone. Oh. She's like, I'm making Estrada. Strada means street in Italian. There's There's a famous movie called La Strada. Wow, all right. Well, if that's important to anyone. <laughs> so this is a babysitter, and her name is Mrs. Strada. And they ask for their son. Um, so Cragen convinces them to sign a Miranda waiver so they can all, like, talk together, which is a trick for sure. I would never allow this. They uh, waive the rights because they just want to see their son, and they march on over there. Finn looks up the dad in the system. He is clean as a whistle, which... Whistles are disgusting, filled with saliva. Stabler and Benson ask about the parents, (laughs) both playing hooky, but they were actually at the hospital because their daughter had a respiratory thing. So this is a nightmare. Like, what the worst day in history. Benson is like, okay, why don't you guys sit down? You've clearly been through enough. They bring in Elias. Obviously, there's some hugs and kisses. They sit Elias in front of Elliot. They're going to chat. And, you know, Elliot, okay, like Benson relating to victims and being kind is like, really natural to look at and watching Stabler do it is making me uncomfortable. (laughs) It's like, you don't spend enough time with kids, I think, to know how to do this (laughs) because you have four, but you don't spend time with them. No, it's like, do you like school? Yes, second grade, his favorite subject. He shrugs, he doesn't have one. Small talk (laughs) is over though. They're gonna talk about today. He admits to knowing Carly Jackson. When asked if he likes her, he shakes his head no. Stabler asks, why not? She's always bothering me is his answer. She chases me and tries to kiss me. And so he's like, okay, so what happened at recess? He said that she fell down. What made her fall down? I mean, this is like, speed it up, kid. So anyways, he's traumatized. So what made her fall down? Stabler pushes. The kid is staring right at him, takes a long pause, and then says, the gun. Well, who's holding the gun? The boy asks, is Carly going to be okay? And Sabler again asks, who had the gun? And he has to whisper, I did. The dad finally gets up and is like, okay, we're going to stop this and we're going to get a lawyer. And obviously Stabler's like, yeah, that's fine with us. It's wild you let us talk to him for this long. <laughs> um, but he's going to stay at the precinct. So Cragen is behind the glass with Munch and directs uh, Munch and Finn to start digging to everyone in their lives to see how he got the gun. Cragen makes a little dark joke about like the screening process is bad, but I doubt the kid was able to buy one himself. So that's like a little little humor um, from Cragen. Uh-oh, the press is out and they're all trying to get a snapshot of what's going on. Munch uh, pushes his way past them and into the gate to the playground and there's a little memorial set up, flowers, balloons, a fo- you know, photos of Carly and the principal is standing over it. Uh, Munch walks over to her. He asks if the two kids had drama in the past and she says neither had ever been sent to her office. So she says she saw Elias putting the gun in the garbage can. Munch relays to her um, that Carly picked on him and she's like, Carly was the sweetest little girl. And then she goes, did we miss something? And she says, he wasn't a troublemaker. Like he barely even talked and she's really sad. And I would say I'd put her in with Lisa Lampiera into iconic guest stars that actually act the appropriate level of upset when something horrible happens. 
she is really bothered by what is happening. And I feel like Lisa Lampira, she was like really upset her roommate died. And those are the only two I can think of that have acted appropriately. Usually it's yeah. a friend's mom that's like, I got to get to work. You know, girls yeah. are girls. That's sad, but teens die. Yeah. Gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so, but this principle is affected. And she's also reflecting, like, she wants to help. She's like, what did I miss? You know, like, she is just, um, a stellar person, this principal. So Benson and Stabler go to Mrs. Strada's house, the daycare. She says he's an angel and she can't even believe it. They straight up ask if she has a gun at the house. Her curtains are very grandma vibes. My mom would love these fucking curtains. We have these curtains. She says, please. And um, and she is like, none of the kids would do this. And Stabler asks if she has the numbers to the parents of these kids. And she's even insulted by the question. Like, of course I do. Work and home and she points them to the list. She's watching out the window as the kids are playing and yells at two kids fighting and they listen to her and stop right away, which is a good sign. They respect her um, and there are kids inside as well. Stabler asks if she's in charge of all the kids. She goes, yes. They don't leave the courtyard without an adult and they don't talk to strangers. And then she goes, I take my job very seriously, young man. And I like the way she's talking to Stabler. <laughs> uh, Finn is interrogating children, LOL. Um, okay, Sammy, where did Elias get the gun? And it's like kindergarten cop, but not funny. You know what I mean? Like very <laughs> serious. This boy says he got the gun from his pants, but doesn't know anything else. And the boy is pretty like defensive and like pissed off. Munch is with the children too. And the boy with Munch is like, ugh, she kissed him all the time. And he would get red. And she was walking over to him that day. Stabler and Benson are debating on their adventure about how they should charge the parents, even though it's a hot button issue, Stabler says. But like these parents don't seem like the parents I think that should, like they seem like good caring parents because the parents I think like I think about the Michigan parents, you know, in the last few years that like yeah. encouraged their kid to be a school shooter and like aided and embedded like yeah, charge those parents. Like I don't get the vibe from these parents that they're like negligent or not. Well, they also or didn't anything. even own a gun. Yeah, like they. I mean, it's like yes, you have to check and see if your caregiver has a gun, but the Miss Strata says she doesn't have a gun, so it's like they've done their due diligence, you know. Yeah, and but, they just don't seem like assholes to me. Um, yeah. So the elevator doors open and wa um, there's a walk and talk that follows. Elliot's just like, what would have made a little boy like that want to take a life? And Benson calls him out like, you're searching for a way to make him a victim. The only victim here is a dead little girl. And I'm with her, but he is really cute and it is hard. Okay, so there's a woman and her name is Sonia Paredes and Elias Barrera's teacher. That's who it is. And she goes into complaining about class sizes. The limit's 32 and she is... 40 kids and she's that's really crazy it is 40 kids is a humongous class <laughs> I can't even imagine I can't just getting in a line probably takes 15 minutes yeah minimum so she's digging in her bag and she was in the teacher's lounge when she heard and when she heard it was Elias she said she got physically ill Benson's like okay you've been digging in that giant bag for a while is there something you want to show us in the bag and she's like yes after 20 years of teaching you know nothing shocks you anymore and I wish this had you know all of these women are just so so introspective about what is happening. I don't know. It's just like, 
I really like the characters in this episode. So she hands mm. over a drawing. He drew it yesterday. Holy shit, it's a fucking shooting. Um, it's two boys with a gun, but he's holding a green and red checkered thing in between the gun and the victim, and I can't figure out what it is. It is a, a folder. Like, I don't know. And then it's a girl with blood everywhere out of her stomach, so not good. Stabler goes, you know, Carly had a ponytail. And so that's the scene ender is looking at this drawing, and he is a pretty good artist. So um, we're at the office of the chief assistant district attorney, Charlie Phillips. And he's like a lemony snicket looking man, I would say. That's <laughs> the best way this to describe him. familiar. Who is he? He's like Rumpelstiltskin to me. He truly um, just has like energy that I'm not into. Okay, are you going to look it up? Let's yeah, look I'm up. looking up this actor because I just want to see what else I like know him from. we Hold know on. him. He's played annoying before. I know this guy. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Okay, let's see. He's got 120 credits. So, okay, he's a regular on Billions. If you watch Billions, like currently, he's a Billions regular. He's been on 76 episodes of that. The Walking Dead, he was a regular. He's been on eight episodes of Law & Order regular. Okay, but I wouldn't know um, any of that. I do see one that I know, Burn After Reading. It's a small uh, part, but he was a cosmetic surgeon. And I feel like I did watch, I do watch that movie a lot. Wait, okay, The okay. Mist? I didn't see The Mist, but it's always in like lists of the most heartbreaking, awful endings of movies of all time. And so I have seen just the ending of it and it's pretty fucked up. Oh, wow. Okay. The Mist. So I don't think I'm going to watch the whole movie. You know, I did just, I watched the ending. Um, but I think you should call him Lemony Snicket the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> he just has like not good vibes, like straight up. There are some actors that just play, you know, weirdos. Yeah. So um, Tuesday, November 7th, and I wonder if that's election day. Where are the I voted stickers? Because election, <laughs> right? That has to yeah. be election day. Yeah. Um, he says, charge the boy with murder. And Cabot's like, he's seven. And the dude's like, yeah. And if he was six, that would be different. But the law's the law and there's no room for interpretation. I hate him. They argue about what the jury will indict on. You know, Columbine's, of course, brought up and people are like fed up with uh, that. But obviously not. We are in the future watching this and we know that nothing has changed and it's only gotten worse. But, you know, this is in the 2000s. Um, he says people are fed up and Cabot's like, nope, you want to get elected next year and you're getting you know, you're trying to get all splashy and attention. He doesn't have a re response because she just called his ass out real good. And he just cares about like, you know, impressing constituents. He takes a moment to collect himself and says that the boy knew the difference between right and wrong. And Cabot's like, yes, but to not understand the consequences of his actions. And he yells, he brought a gun to school. He knew what he was doing and the drawing proves intent. So we're off to a Manhattan family court and the judge is like, Cabot, there must be a mistake. You're charging a seven-year-old with murder. And she's like, yes, we are your honor. And she's like, there must be an alternative, right? And she's like, one is yet to present itself. I'm obsessed with this episode. Like, I also love the dialogue. So she's not happy, but there's evidence with criminal intent and the judge then has to move on and ask, like, what the plea is. And then friend of the pod, Josh Pice, is the defense attorney. And he's saying that they are pleading um, general denial. That's what they're pleading. Cabot wants to remove the boy from the home into a facility. His parents cry. They're stressed. Josh says, let him go home. Cabot's like, no. And hello, the victim's family is here today. And we get a look at Carly's mom and she she is mad. She is glaring over at Elias, at, you know, fairly, and at, at all of them. And 
it's not good. And it's, again, an appropriate level of face you would give if your child was murdered. Uh, the judge sends him to a facility and orders some evaluations. The gavel pounds. Sarah Ramirez cries, please don't take my baby. Carly's mom gives them a dirty look as she walks by. Um, the You know, and then the parents hug. Munch walks in with the newspaper and the headline um, says, killer kid. So Benson's like, yeah, tons of people are outside the courthouse. Everyone's going wild. And Munch, I think he's being sarcastic. He goes, yeah, who would have guessed people would be against charging a seven-year-old with murder? <laughs> he leans uh, back. He opens the paper. And then Munch slips in a little dig against Cabot. And she walks right in, right on time. And she's like, I didn't want to charge him. I had no choice. Stabler also leaning back in his chair, feet up on his desk. Everyone's really relaxed. So while he's been in jail, has he spilled the beans? Uh, Stabler asks about the crime or anything, and it's uh, it's been the opposite. Cabot says he's completely withdrawn. He won't talk to social workers or anybody. Cragen walks in like, nope, stop wasting time talking about this. We need to find the adult who let this child near a gun. One of the parents whose kids goes to Miss uh, Mrs. Strada's daycare, Raina McCreary, owns a gun. So we're with the mom who's putting her hair up with a giant banana clip. Um, well, she's, and banana clips are in. It's really like watching this episode is a mind fuck. <laughs> so she tells Munch that there is no way her son gave a gun to Elias. Munch asks if the gun is still in her possession. She goes, yes. She doesn't want to show it to them, but she pulls it out of her purse. They both jump back like, whoa. She goes, are you satisfied? They make her put the gun on the table and ask why it's loose in her bag. She says, you know, she leaves work. She leaves the, you know, the hospital. She has to take us the subway, a bus, and walk four blocks at 3 a.m. And she's putting on some lipstick. She's getting ready, um, you know, class. She's getting ready while they're trying to get some info out of her. Munch is now like, oh, well, you shouldn't have it in your purse. So she gets sassy and is like, yeah, I leave it at home so the appliances can protect themselves. Love <laughs> her. You have a child living here, they remind her. She calls for her son, Raphael, and he comes out and he's wearing a toy badge. So I think this kid is a cop lover. He tells them he knows Elias and that he popped that little girl. Benson and Stabler are at like, you know, talking to a science cop in a lab and they're talking about the guns and the bullets and holy shit, this gun was used in a different crime. There's a second body on that gun. So this case is growing. We go talk to the cop of that other case. Um, basically, the victim is Shorty Esposito, Latino male. He got smoked in the ticker right before your case. Like, what a sentence. So it was short range and the dude was dumped in an alley blocks from where the kid lives. So they're like, did the kid do this one too? And I get, that's like a joke to them. And they're like, uh, he's like, no, that, this shooter is actually four inches taller than the deceased. So it's a grown person. They share info and files. They cross-reference stuff. There's no like, this is my jurisdiction. Oh, you don't think I did a good job? There's none of that here. So they got to go find a link between the crimes. So she says, look at his pants. And they're looking at the crime photos and holy shit, those pants are in the drawing Elias drew of the victim. And they're like, that might be the link. So the pants are the link. So he drew a different shooting. It's probably, it's not the Carly shooting. So they take the photo to a bodega guy and he's being sarcastic, not helpful. But like, I get it. It's a random guy at the bodega. Like you can't know everyone. But Stabler decides to do a little theater and picks up the paper and goes, you heard about this case? And the bodega guy says, who hasn't? And he goes, well, the same gun the boy used was used to kill this guy. So you tell us what you know about this guy. So he's like, all right, all right. He's into the mumbo jumbo. He's always coming out 
out of Nestor's, which is a store across the street. It's a witch style store. There's a lot of candles. Um, the store owner calls it religious supplies. Who is the store owner? But Madonna's baby daddy, Carlos Leon. Oh and the my father, God, I was just looking it up. But yes, I was like, I recognize him. Yeah. Yeah. The father of Lourdes. And he's also in the episode Wildlife, um, where he plays another kind of. He's like a party promoter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And gives Coke to the girls. Yeah. <laughs> Here he owns a Sanseria-style store. They show him the photo and he goes, yes, that is a customer. And Benson says, was. And they accuse him and he says, um, you know, goats is the highest in the food chain. We go with sacrifice. They want scoop on this dead guy. He goes, no, part of our religion is secrecy and that's freedom of religion and I'm not violating his rights. And Benson goes, he's dead. He has no rights. And Stabler then is like, are you a priest? And he gives it up and is like, no, I'm actually an atheist businessman, but there's three 300,000 people in New York that practice Santeria and they need to shop someplace they can trust. So I, I'm i like, I mean, Baby Killer is sad, but this episode is really fucking good. So yeah. the foursome meet up outside and are like, honestly, we think he's into drugs and they point across the street at some dealers at work. Finn and um, his narcotics knowledge fills them in. He's like, you know, it's kind of, it looks like a scene from The Wire. Um, a little boy yells 911 and Finn goes, and that's the lookout. We could have put that together. Um, we didn't need your drug expertise for that. But well, I thought it was interesting though. He was like, that's the money guy. He never touches the product. I was like, I didn't know that. I thought I what you usually see on these little things are like someone hands a money and someone, you know, palms a little pocket of white powder or whatever. But like, this is like a whole operation where there's a separate guy. Yeah. So no one can get held accountable if like for the actual exchange. All right, okay. I'm learning, I'm learning. Yeah, yeah, but the lookout, it's like, The yes. lookout, yeah, yeah. The corner boy, <laughs> we got that, yeah. A grocery store owner stops the boy and it's like, come on, let him go, let him run. <laughs> But they obviously have past beef. So he runs trying to get involved and the boy says, shut up, old man. Finn is like, focus on us. Do you know these people? And they sh uh, show the photos and the 10-year-old doesn't know who they are. Benson pushes for scoop for the grocery guy. The dealer glares. But this motherfucker is not scared, gives the names and everything. He knows Elias. He's at the store all the time. But not with this dead guy, with another guy named Sweetness. He's 18 or 19 and he has a sweet tooth. Benson and Stabler enter um, to the squad room and Munch has scoop on Sweet Tooth. Perfect. Um, okay, so Sweet Tooth was placed in foster care at age eight uh, for truancy. Then it turned into shoplifting, then drugs, then larceny, then gun possession. The last person who posted bail for him was his great-grandmother, Mrs. Strada, the daycare girl. Dun, dun. So they go to her sassy ass and she says that her grandson has nothing to do with this little girl's death. They're like, um, dude, you know Elias got a gun and you know Antonio has a gun and has had gun troubles in the past. She says he has changed. He has gotten his life together. He helps with the kids. He takes them to the park, buys them candy. The kids call him sweetness. Benson bends down to be like on her level and goes, that park and store he takes them to are known drug corners. That is a drug corner. She looks out the window and goes, I didn't know that. And do you, do you think she did know that or no? I don't know. Regardless, I, I think it's like you're not allowed to let your nephew, your great grandson just walk off with kids like to random places like in this daycare scenario. It's bad enough that she's like basically running it from a perch while the kids are down in the courtyard. They can't leave the courtyard. They can't just go on strolls like they have to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So you know? that's inside scoop from a daycare user. So <laughs> Sabler then lets her know a young man named Shorty was shot and killed with the same gun that Elias used. She's starting to act shifty and worried. And they're like, last time your great grandson was arrested was with Shorty. Like they did time together. Where is he? Tell us. She's debating, then says, you understand he had a horrible childhood. Dad's in prison. Mom, who knows where the fuck she is. She looks down and says, please don't hurt him. She starts to cry. They enter a building. Benson and Stabler knock on a door asking for Antonio. Sweetness, Benson says. Nobody says anything. They open the door, enter the apartment. There is fresh blood. There's blood on the walls, blood everywhere. Stabler yells, party's down here, and starts climbing um, the fire escape stairs down. Um, do you, you can climb down, right? Yeah. They are running through. No. How would you do? How would you say it? Going down the stairs or descending the stairs versus descending. ascending. Yeah. D- descending. So you want, yeah. So you would go down, you would descend down a mountain. Okay. So whatever. He's going down the fire escape. They're running through a courtyard and they find a bleeding man in the trash. His throat is slit and he's bleeding out. He's like, who did this to you? Who did this to you? He whispers with the last bit of energy he has into Stabler's ear, machete, Um, which is from Breaking Bad, I feel too, right? Machete, or it it could just be a word. Um, And Stabler- uh, Danny Trejo plays a character named Machete, right? Yeah, Casey's In Breaking Bad. Okay, perfect. No? No, no, just a movie, I think. Oh, just a character? Yeah. Oh, but Trejo is in Breaking Bad. Okay. Yes, it's Trejo. Wow, there's a whole series. Yeah, that's like Danny Trejo's big character is Machete. There's three Machete movies. Did you know that? No. Lindsay Lohan's in one of them. Ah! <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, we got to get our hand. But Steven Seagal is, too. All right. Listen, let's go back to Baby Killer. So, Stabler is like, my shed? My shed? And I'm oh, over here Stabler's- like, it's machete, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Stabler not getting Spanish is, like, so funny. <laughs> it's a dig. He's like, my, my shed My shede. Yeah. <laughs> We're at the office and the photo of the dead man and the drawing Elias drew have the same, you know, gray camo pants. We've discussed this. They're like, when he drew this, he wasn't plotting out Carly Jackson's murder. He was drawing this murder that he witnessed. This was a cry for help. Cabot's like, he's been through so many questions, through so many systems, interrogations. Why wouldn't he have said anything? Cragen goes, well, I mean, these are drug dealers and killers. They scare the kid. The kid might be scared. Benson and Saber are like, fuck, we need to talk to him. Cabot says the judge let him go home. So he is home. Cragen tells them to go get that info. They rush to the house. The mom's obviously like, you got some nerve. And the lawyer, Josh, is like, they're prisoners in their own home. It's been awful for them. Protesters, death threats, social services want to take their daughter away. And they're like, we're not letting you talk to him to pin something else on him. And Benson goes, no, we believe that your son witnessed a murder. And they're like, what? And they show the drawing. The mom goes, oh my God. So they lead the detectives to Elias. Stabler walks in and they all stand in the doorway and watch. And Stabler tries connecting with the kid who wants to be silent. Stabler calls him big guy. That must work. So Stabler goes, listen, you've been dragged into something. We talked to Sweetness and we know that you've been slinging for him. He asks, what did you do with all the money he gives you? You know, did you buy kicks, crayons, video games? He still says nothing. Stabler's like, come on, Elias, talk. And like, you know, begging him, like, let's let's fix this. Let's fix this. So finally, Elias goes, he puts little bottles in my pockets. So that's the first time we hear him speak. Stabler says, nice work. Now let's talk about the gun, okay? 
tell me about this. Elias says, he told me to stay in the room and I didn't. I saw him shoot the man. What's at the end of the gun? And we finally know what I thought was a folder is a pillow. And he goes, you could hardly hear the bam. Stabler asks, why did Sweetness shoot Shorty? He says, um, he didn't. The guy holding the gun is Machete. And then Stabler goes, Machete? And he doesn't know who this Machete guy is, but he did hear Shorty cry for help. Like, please stop Machete. Please don't do this. Stabler's eyes open wide. Then what happened? He heard sirens and Machete ran away. Sweetness hid the gun in the couch and got a big suitcase and Elias hid in the closet because he was scared and he heard them leave. Stabler asks why he took the gun and he's like, I didn't want him to kill me too. So Stabler then asks, where did this happen? And he goes, well, my sister was in the hospital. So he was at Mrs. Strada's fucking house. So they're going to go back there again. They ask her where she was Sunday night between 10 p.m. and midnight. She goes, I take meds and they knock me the fuck out. I was sleeping. So she knows nothing. They're all going through the apartment hardcore. There's no traces of blood yet. But one pillow is missing. How would they ever fucking know that? Uh, Like, how do you know how many pillows someone has? And they turn the lights out and we see the blood glow. Um, And we see the blood glow of like imprints of a wheels of a suitcase. So he put Shorty in the suitcase and ran out. So they go to the 15th precinct and probably see like, you know, to check out how they handle this case. So this dude is like, oh yeah, it was a party. It got out of hand. There was a knife, a brawl. And he took 35 statements. He stops everyone who left the building. And the cop shares all 35 interviews and we're working to see if he knows any of them. Elias recognized two of the people, but Elias said it wasn't Machete. And they're like, who the fuck is this guy? So then they come up with the most crazy plan I've ever seen on SVU. This would not work. It is not Halloween. They put Elias in like a pig mask and they're like, we're just going to walk around the neighborhood and you can squeeze my hand when you see who Machete is. What? Like, but I remember I, this like so well from when this was first on. Like, I remember this being like, oh my God, that kid must be so terrified. But they have him in this like weird pig mask and they just like bring him around for like to a like what could be a drug corner or like a drug front. We have no idea. But it's like everyone's going to know who that little child is. They see him all the time. They know the case is happening. But also, why are these obvious cops have a kid with a mask on? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. He's not like walking with an uncle. Like if they had him walking with like, I don't know, one guy to be like undercover, but it's like he just walks in with a crowd of cops wearing a mask. It's so, like, what would stop this guy just from shooting him right in the fucking face and like killing him so that he can't talk? Yeah. Yeah, blowing his little pig mask right off. It's so fucked up. So, but that's that's the plan they came up with. (laughs) So Stabler says, keep your head down. Don't say a word. Just squeeze my hand when you see machete. I do like saying it. Yeah. They enter the Santeria shop. Madonna's ex walks out. He grabs his hand hard. Um, like, so the squeeze is happening. So Carlos Leon is fucking machete. The Santeria guy is actually, this is a drug den. The candles are, no one is religious in this It's a great community. front though, because it's like he can claim all this religious freedom that we're being persecuted because people don't like Santeria or, or whatever. And you can just do all your business that way. Yeah, and they take him out. They put cuffs on yeah. him. They arrest his ass. He tries to bribe them. He goes, look in the freezer. There's tons of ca- cash in the freezer. You know, big mistake. These are not the cops that are, will do that. They're not they, the um, They drag his ass out of the witch shop. And so we open back up at the office of Dr. Elizabeth Olivet. And this, I would say, is like B.D. Wong before B.D. Wong, you know, right? 
Olivet. Yeah. Um, and she's like, you can talk um, now. Machete is in jail. She's like, I heard, you know, from the streets that you're a very good artist. And he's like, yeah, you know, I am. He's trying to be humble, but he knows he's good. So she asks him to draw what happened that day at the schoolyard. He starts drawing. It's a big face with its mouth open wide. And she's like, oh, is that you? You're really scared. Why are you scared? And he's like, I saw them behind the fence, Machete and them. He says they came to hurt me too. And like, do you think they went to scare him or kill him because they knew that he was in the closet? I don't know. Like, great question. I think he's right to be scared. Yeah, because they probably know that he was there. I'm sure they were going to kill him. No one's trusting a seven-year-old to keep their mouth shut. Yeah. Sam. He says, I saw them from behind the fence. Damn, that's so scary. Elias, who were you shooting at? And he goes, I was shooting at Machete. I didn't shoot Carly. What's going to happen to me? So she asks, what do you think should happen to you? He starts drawing red all around him. It's red flames. He thinks he's going to hell. He want, He said, he thinks he deserves to burn in hell for what he did. So Cabot's waiting for the gray-haired man in charge that wants to see this child burn. He says, I know why you're here. And no, you cannot have the Machete case. I gave that to McCoy. Cabot's like, I'm not here to pick up a case. I'm here to drop one. And he's like, no, we cannot give this kid a pass. She says, we wouldn't have gotten Machete without him. He says, it doesn't bring back Carly Jackson. Cabot's like, her death is a tragedy, but this was self-defense. Machete and his gang were at the school playground. Um, there are knocks on the door. Phones are ringing. It's really a wild day. And they both head out walking. And he's like, fine, do manslaughter. And she's like, I don't want to prosecute this child for like a bunch of, a series of society's mistakes. Yeah. So, and Elias's family's HMO wouldn't cover their daughter's condition, forcing them to work two jobs. So they had to find affordable daycare. So they put him in an illegal daycare where an 82-year-old woman is looking after 15 children and her great-grandson was using him as a drug runner and giving him access to a loaded gun. And this boy should not be put away. And he responds, nobody in Sing Sing has a great childhood. Like if you start killing at seven, what happens next? I hate this man so fucking much. You don't, I don't need to have, I don't even know why I need to stop to say it. But like, are you fucking kidding me? You're like, yeah, things are bad in Sing Sing. So let's just keep perpetuating the cycle. What? Like, it makes no sense. Like, it's like, he's not even listening to what she's saying. And it is fucked. Like people don't have childcare options, you know? Yeah. She screams, you are unbelievable. He goes, nope, I'm second in command and I have Lewin's full support on this. He goes, listen, people know what happened and people want justice and I need someone held responsible. He runs off to do a press conference and he goes, justice is going to be served, yada, yada. And then he passes the buck to Cabot feeds her to the media wolves. She looks shocked. So many questions thrown at her. A journalist asks, um, you know, it's a Latino boy that shot a black girl. If you don't act on this, you know, it's going to be racially tense in the neighborhood. You guys don't care about black lives. The gray man, he's grinning evil. Rumpelstiltskin, evil, evil grin. She says that this was not racially motivated at all. And even to try to slant it that way is messed up. That's our podcast. Hello. It pulls away and we see that she um, is on the TV and Munch is like, damn, they hung her out to dry. It's a lose-lose. Half the city is going to hate her no matter what. They feel bad for her. Stabler says the boy has been expelled and the state has sent a tutor and they're like, oh my God, um, don't let that get out. People will be mad he has a tutor. Benson asks Cragen, is there anything they can do to help Cabot? And he's like, it's out of our hands. So Cabot is now with Olivet and she's like, oh my God, fuck, my career is on the line. And Olivet's like, um, okay, so 
was the little boy's future. And she says, I haven't forgotten about him, trust me. But she can't believe he did that to her. Um, like, you know, this Lemony Snicket guy. And she's, and Olivet's like, yeah, it's the old boys club. Why do you think I left here? And Cabot's like, okay, but what would you do? Like, can you help me? Uh, what should I do? And she's like, I can't discuss particulars with you. I've been hired by the defense on retainer. And she's like, but I would put him in supervised counseling. Cabot says, that's not gonna satiate the public's bloodlust. Someone um, needs to be punished. And she's like, actually, you can bring upon peace instead of punishment. And that makes Cabot think. We're at the capacity hearing. It's a lady on the stand talking um, how the boy clearly knows the difference between right and wrong. And from the time he pulled the trigger, he knew what he was doing and wanted to cause death or physical harm to those men. Now it's a man on the stand and he reminds me of a queen who would have like dogs competing at a dog show for <laughs> sure. He looks like he is brushing a dog right now. And he says the boy understands the role of a judge and what's going on here, the role of the court, the attorney. Um, he understands like, how to defend himself. And now Olivette's on the stand and she's like, yeah, I agree with everyone. But in my assessment, the minor knows it was wrong. But at the time he pulled the trigger, he was not. Cabot goes to Olivette. She brings up the drawing um, about the hell and how he thinks he belongs in hell. And she goes, yeah, that's like my point. Like, he's still a kid. I, you know, the doctor knows kids that think they're going to hell for telling a fib. Um, these are still children. Cabot asks, how do you explain his lapse in judgment at the time he pulled the trigger? And she says, it was mortal fear. He was imitating behavior. He saw these men swing guns around to scare people and he wanted them to go away. He was imitating behavior without fully understanding it. And they cut to Carly's angry mom in the stands, obviously, and it's really sad for her. And she says he's seven years old. Like, even if he understands what a court is or what a judge is or right and wrong, it's as much as a seven-year-old can understand it. He is a tiny baby. So anyways, the judge looks him up and down. She's side-eyeing the ladies. Cabot then says the people deferred to Dr. Olivet's findings that the minor lacked the capacity to understand the consequences of his actions and therefore should not be held responsible. And then we go back to Carly's mom. It's heartbreaking and, you know, great facial acting. Like, to be able to act without any lines to exhibit, like, grief, I don't know. Tough job. So Elias's parents look um, more shocked than relieved at first. The judge is like, excuse me, the people are withdrawing charges. And she's like, he lacked the mens rea to commit a crime. And that's a legally blonde term. Okay. <laughs> um, and she says, so we will not pursue the case. His parents cry with joy. Carly's mom looks uncomfortable and doesn't know how to feel. She's looking around. And I don't know. This is very tough to watch. Cabot is being surrounded outside by the press and is like, I know a lot of you don't agree with what happened, but there's there's something I'd like you to hear. A black man from the crowd yells, another killed black person and like someone gets free. This is fucked. And she responds, the cycle of violence has got to stop somewhere. Let it be here. And then Carly's mom walks forward. She introduces herself to the media frenzy. I know you're all here out of concern and I thank you, but I have a favor to ask. Go home, take care of your children. And she walks off, barely able to stand up straight or breathe. So Cabot walks into the squad room and they all hail her a hero and congratulate her and Stabler and company are there. And they're like, we're going to go to McMullen's for a drink. Um, but the phone rings first. You know, this isn't good. Aww. Craig answers. Finn is like, wait, you come in? And he, you come into to the bar, Craig? I know you're sober. <laughs> you coming for a milk, bro, or what? <laughs> 
And he slowly hangs up the phone. And then we're just at a crime scene. The neighbors uh, jumped in, would have killed him if we hadn't been a block away. Benson and Stabler walk and the uniform cop says the killer is 12. He was an outraged citizen and goes by the name TJ. Um, And then, so yeah, Elias is fucking dead. Oh, it's so sad. It's this little baby on the ground. Oh my God. Elias is shot on the ground, dead. A young 12-year-old is being taken away in handcuffs and he yells, you can't kill a sister and just walk. He gets stuffed into a cop car. Benson says the cycle never ends, does it? Then Stabler says, welcome to the Gaza Strip. Like, 23 years ago. It's like this show is always like ahead of time, behind its time, works in cycle, always relevant. Sometimes, like it is just, yeah. But like, there goes a twelve-year-old kid that's gonna spend his life in jail. Like, it's horrible. It's like the whole thing is horrible. Now two kids are dead. Like, and it's like drug I violence. I really this. wish this twelve-year-old did not do that. Here's what I don't get, though. I don't really get why Cabot can just be like give it up. Like, isn't she going to get in trouble from her boss? Everybody's like, let's go have a drink. We did it. And it's like, but you dropped the case and your boss said you had to try the case. Well, she did. She she tried it and then decided, no. I know. I just, I still feel like, I, th- I thought there would be a line about her being like, well, I'm going to get my ass handed to me, but whatever or what, you know, like, yeah. but instead it was all like, you nailed it. Let's go shots on me. And like, I, it just, I felt like she was still going to get in trouble. But, um, you know, maybe mens rea is like a more, I don't know. Also having Carly's mom sort of speak to the crowd was like a good like PR move on her part. So maybe that's like what they're talking about. But yeah. But yeah, him bringing up the Gaza Strip at this point in time, this episode, you know, coming out while this, uh, everything's happening is really wild. Um, But, you know, keep your sadness, keep your sadness level at a high because we'll be right back with the real story and, uh, you know, just after a few messages from our sponsors. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so we are back and this case is sad. You know, it is the case of Kayla Rowland. Uh, Kayla Renee Rowland lived in Morris Township, Michigan, which is just north of Flint, Michigan. Um, She was only six years old in February of 2000 when she was shot by a classmate at Theo J. Buell Elementary School and he was another six-year-old. Like, Honestly, Elias is seven. This is another six-year-old. They're in first grade. Um, The boy's father was in prison for parole violation. Uh, Previous arrests included possession of cocaine and burglary. His mom had was working two jobs, like a lot like this family, like trying to, you know, make ends meet, but she was evicted from her place of living because she was only making $175 a week and could not pay the rent. So she and her two sons went to live with her brother and the shooter and his eight-year-old brother shared a sofa at their uncle's house. And the uncle's house is allegedly a house where a lot of drugs and guns are around. One article called it a crack house. I don't know if that's like an appropriate term or what qualifies that, but that's what, you know, the kind of living situation he was in. This kid already had behavioral problems. This is like different from the episode. Elias was like apparently this little angel. This kid had behavioral problems, was in detention all the time for swearing, hitting, flipping the bird. Um, Weeks before the shooting, he stabbed a classmate with a pencil and he had attacked Kayla before. And the day before her death, he had tried kissing her and was rejected and that made him mad. And again, They're six years old. So not sure when. It was hard. Nobody really knows when. But at some point, this six-year-old boy found a loaded 32 caliber handgun in a Puma shoebox at his uncle's house. He brought it to school along with a knife. During passing time, he said to Kayla, I don't like you, before shooting her in front of a teacher and two dozen other students. She was shot once in the shoulder, but it like tore through her chest and hit a vital organ because she was shot a few minutes before 10 a.m. and she was pronounced dead at the hospital by 10.29 a.m. So what she, year was this? 2000, the beginning of the same year this episode came out, the oh beginning of the year. God. Yeah, really horrible. The shooter put the gun in a desk after the shooting and simply walked away is what I read. Um, police said they talked to the boy. He did not cry. And when he was finished talking to the police, he just sat and drew pictures. Um, Authorities, but this sounds like a boy that's seen a lot of bad shit, been through a lot of bad shit and is hardened, you know, like, and probably also doesn't fully grasp what he's done. Authorities said the boy did not seem to get what happened. At a news conference, the Genesee County prosecutor, Arthur A. Bush said, quote, it was their impression, the investigators, that the boy didn't understand what he had done, did not appreciate the consequences of his actions and appeared to take this as some sort of well, that this just kind of happens like on television. This is a young boy, six years old, who cannot obviously form criminal intent. He does not seem to understand the gravity of the event, end quote. He also commented, quote, he was treating it as if it was a toy because I don't think he had too many toys, which uh, that seems like not 
I don't think that's relevant. But um, the boy was not charged with murder because of his age and was released to the custody of an aunt. And um, this case, and I believe with his sister and brother, he went with the aunt. This case obviously got a ton of attention because of how young the victim and the shooter were. At the time, Kayla was the youngest school shooting victim in the U.S., but that was before Sandy Hook happened in 2012, 10 years late, uh, 12 years later with almost no change. Um, and then a picture of Kayla in a Winnie the Pooh t-shirt was like on the cover of Newsweek and the story was featured in a lot of um, national magazines, like, you know, kids Do you remember kids. this? I don't remember this happening. No, I don't. I was in college. Actually, I was in college and yeah, it's so bad, but I don't remember this happening. The boy being so young was also tragic, but also it's so tragic that nothing has changed. Like in this year, 2023, a six-year-old just shot his teacher in Virginia. So it's like been 23 years later, the same stuff is happening. The shooter's mother was named Tamarla Owens. She was originally char charged with child neglect, but that case was eventually dismissed. Uh, Jamel James was a 19-year-old man living in the home with the shooter's uncle, and he was the owner of the gun that killed Kayla. He pleaded no contest to involuntary manslaughter, and he did get two to 15 years, and he served two and a half. Um, so he kind of said in court, like, he didn't plead guilty, but he pleaded no contest. Like, he took response. He's like, I get, I have to do time for this. Buell Elementary closed in 2002, two years later, due to dwindling enrollment, stressed finances. The campus was damaged by arson in 05 and demolished in 2009. Michael Moore, who is actually from Flint, referenced Kayla's murder in the movie Bowling for Columbine, which was, you know, his attempt to convince our sick fucking country to make stricter gun laws. And then Kayla became the face of the gun control debate for a while. President Clinton promised the mother, quote, as president, I'm going to do everything I can to see that this doesn't happen to other children. And, quote, he met with congressional leaders the week after Kayla's death and asked how many people have to get killed before we do something. And it's like, oh, you have no idea. Like, the number's just going to keep growing and climbing for the next two decades. And But a year later, Clinton was out of office. George W. Bush was in uh, some, some legislation called Kayla's Law, which had proposed a federal waiting period for firearms purchased at gun shows, had gone nowhere. And, you know, we are where we are. So that's the fucked up case that this is based on. Um, I mean, it didn't, it doesn't have like the drug angle, but just the angle of children getting their hands on guns. And my friend actually who listens to the podcast, my lovely friend, uh, she wrote me because we talked about this on another episode and like about how you talk to parents, about how you find out when there's a gun in the home of like kids. Cause I was, I think I was talking about it on the podcast being like, how am I going to handle that? And she was like, the way I actually do it is like, hey, I just want to know if you have a gun, is it locked up? Like not to judge anyone for having a gun, you know, more just like, is the gun locked up if you have it? And she said, it has actually sparked a lot of great conversations with parents and stuff. So I'm looking forward to when I, I don't send my kids on play dates alone yet because they're too young and out of control. But when that starts to happen, you know, it's a uh, good, good thing to ask, a necessary thing to ask. So we will be back in moments with our postmortem. All right, let's get into our postmortem. I mean, what a sad, sad episode. <laughs> this is really like, I think I said get ready to get sad in one of our very first episodes. And a few people along the lines have asked us for that merch. And if you're going to wear it watching any episode, it's this one. It really starts bad, continues to be bad, ends bad. Wait, we should do that though. I know. 
That's good merch. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, time to get sad. Or get <laughs> ready to get sad. Get ready, get to, ready get to get sad. Get ready to get sad. Yeah. Well, yeah. But like, sad. I mean, honestly, all in all, it's like just the 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 gun sickness in our country is obviously horrific. And uh, we can't let guns get into the hands of small children because this is what happens. And I don't know. I know that seems like pretty obvious, low-hanging fruit uh, message for the show, but that's just how I feel that, like, if you have a gun, it needs to be locked up, yada, yada. I think everybody should have to take a fucking training course to use one, to be honest. We have to take a training course to use a car. Yeah, the gun nuts are always um, in la-la land with their arguments and what-ifs, and it's like, at the end of the day, so easy. A gun should be just like a car. You want a yeah. license to have a gun. You got to take a test and a practical and a written, and then you can get yeah. it. And guess what? If you have two DUIs or you beat your wife, you don't get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand yeah. how it's just like a free-for-all. It's so Because people will be like, why would I have to get a test? Like, well, I've been shooting since I was two. Then the test will be easy for you to pass. The test will be so easy. Get in there, take it. You don't even have to study. You know how to use a gun so good. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's never like, you know, what's crazy. Like, have you ever considered having a gun? I, when I first moved to New York city by myself, I was like 24 and I was like, do I need a gun? Like I thought maybe a tiny little one for like my bedside table. And then I was like, what are you fucking? It was like a flicker of a thought. And I was like, never in a million years should I have a gun. Also, I never felt unsafe in New York city. I think it was just, I had just moved there and I had like watched too many movies and was like, what do I do if somebody like tries to get into my apartment? never happened. Like, it's just, you know, I just, um, I'm confessing right now that at the age of 24, I had a flicker of a thought of getting like a cute little pink gun or something like that. Oh, if you, if the thought of a pink gun has never crossed your mind, you're a liar. You're a liar. <laughs> There's no way. Also, like the little gun from Men in Black showed you that little guns have lots of power. Yeah. Um, but but I, I never had mace. I never had anything in New York. I never even had like a pointy key ring. Yeah, I wish I did, honestly. Um, but someone was telling me that the keys between the fingers is actually a bad idea because if you punch, the key can like rip your skin in the middle and it actually like fucks up your fingers. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure a rapist taught us how to do it. Like, yeah. You know, like, but also oh, like, help. <laughs> yeah, but also don't you think rip your fingers? Who cares? At least you get like a key in somebody's eyeball or whatever. No, there was more like, um, we have to, we have to read about okay. it. Okay. But it's like how, it's like how like you're not supposed to like put your thumb inside yeah. your fist when you punch, you know, you're going to Yeah, the rapists it. are giving us bad advice <laughs> on how to defend our, ourselves. Um, but I think bears, Bear Mace, I would do, I, I'm into, I've, I think about a gun all the time because when the world, you know, who knows what's, sorry to bring this up, but the election <laughs> is a nightmare. And yeah. depending on what happens, unfortunately, a lot of people I don't agree with have guns. So like yeah. we need guns. I think about the end of the world and having a gun all the time. Yeah, I think about it. All I the time. mean, I'm not a person that says let's get rid of all the guns. I'm not like, you know, I just like want it to be regulated in some fucking kind of way. Jesus. No, I um know. and oh. I don't think anybody needs AR15s, but that's me. Wait, um this is like old news and I guess this is more of um an intro than a postmortem topic, but you know, we had our holiday party. We saw Casey that was fun. Yeah, we saw yeah. Casey in person. We did. I mostly cornered Dave Holmes. <laughs> oh yeah, and I played and I played um bowl I played bowling. I bowled with him and his husband and I love them. I Yeah, someone was, else could, tried to come talk to me and I was like 
No. I have Dave Holmes here and I'm going to stick with him. (laughs) I was deathly hungover for three days. I was telling Casey before you got on the Zoom. Like, oh my God. My problem is I went to a kid play date where I I love the moms. And so we had a couple glasses of wine together. And then I was like, okay, gotta go. Going to my holiday party. Went and like went to the holiday party as if I was sober because I wasn't feeling anything. But those two glasses of wine are still in your system. And then I just proceeded to start from scratch in my mind and just drink all night. And then Thursday was, I did almost nothing. I like caught up on all my housewives and like lied on the couch like a dead seal. Sorry if that's a bad image. I just was like a beached whale. And then I... Then I, the, that night I went out to dinner with people, did not drink. I had Shirley Temples. I did Aliza. I had Shirley Temples. Then I went the next night to a party, did not touch an ounce of alcohol. Like I just could not do it. And then finally on the fourth night when I had another holiday party, I had two glasses of wine the entire evening and I went to two parties. I was just like, I'm not fucking with alcohol right now, man. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't get hung over much. And when I do, it's the feeling stays in my system. Wait, yeah, because when you texted me, it was like quite early in the day and you had already watched two episodes of Bravo and I go, well, this isn't, this isn't Kara. <laughs> what? Yeah. The morning? Because I kind of canceled everything I had to do and was like, I'm going to die. But also I didn't make it to that one party um, that I wanted to go to. Were there celeb sightings? There were, but it wasn't as star-studded as last year. I had a great time, but it was, um, there was still our favorite Bravo head, uh, Jerry O'Connell, but he was not there with his wife this time. And um, the NSYNC member that we saw last year, Lance Bass, was not in attendance. But it's like fun. I talked to Brian Safi for a while. You know, it's like fun people are at it. Um, But once again, if you're a Rana and Beverly person, I saw Beverly from across the party and had a perfect opportunity to go up and introduce myself and never did. And now I have to wait another calendar year to try to do it because I love her so much and I really want to meet her. But I was too, I was like too, I felt weird. I just didn't do it. Yeah. Some, I know I know, should. You got to go with your heart. It's yeah. tough. It's tough. Yeah. Some people have anyway, an effect on you and you can't really control it. I know. Because I, yeah, I was kind of waiting for something to happen naturally, but it's like, it's a massive party that's not happening. But oh. it was- Sorry, I was going to no. bring it back to our episode. <laughs> no, that's I was going to okay. say universal child care for all. That's yes. If there course. was universal child care, there would Wouldn't be been... so many problems that are uh, that are happening. And that's I'm, so true. And I've been having Veep on in the background of my life lately. And it's like, she wanted to go for universal child care and she couldn't. And it's like, yeah, what the fuck? Take care of the kid. If you want everyone working, take care of the kids then. Like, do something. Shit. Yeah. Oh, I will say at the second party that I went to, I saw an LA-specific celebrity sighting that was uh, one of the, Nithya Rahman, one of the city council women who I, like, love. And wow. I saw her, I was like, I go, is that Nithya? Like, she was, like, the biggest celeb at this party, and there were other celebs at this party. Like, it was so funny. Um, and I I met her husband, but I didn't meet her. But it was, um, it was fun. Anyway, let's get into this week's What Would Sister Peg Do? This is our weekly segment where we direct you towards an organization, a blog post. Uh, it's so funny I say blog post. It sounds so like 2007. Um, article, book, something to give you more info about what we talked about today. And this week, I wanted to just point you guys to the organization Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Um, I follow them on Instagram. They, I support a lot of what they do. They are an American grassroots movement dedicated to passing stronger gun laws and closing legal loopholes for gun ownership. They also work with communities and business leaders to encourage a culture of responsible gun ownership. 
and I love what they do. So to volunteer or donate, head on over to momsdemandaction.org. That will be posted the day this episode comes out on our Instagram in the stories and then saved forever in our WWSPD highlight. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. And it's fucked, but it does remind me of stop or my mom will shoot, even though it's the opposite sentiment. Okay. So does that make sense? Not at all. Okay. (laughs) You didn't react at all. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was... I made a joke that wasn't that good, but you also just didn't react at all. And I I'm sorry. Like, I was looking down. I didn't realize we had an ad to record. So I was looking down and seeing it. I'm so sorry. I was, I should be listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I just said, it's not right, but it reminds me of stop or my mom will shoot. But it is the opposite <laughs> sentiment, but that's it. It's just, that's all I thought of. <laughs> but you were silent. <laughs> so I obviously got in my head. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite sentence. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's so funny. Okay. Wait, did you already say next week's episode? Not at all. Okay. Um, next week's episode is Dependent, season eight, episode 14. Dependent, kind of how your parents had you on their taxes for longer than you would like to admit. <laughs> We'll see you guys next week. Um, We're obsessed with all of you, but also tell a friend to listen. Jesus Christ, let's go. Yeah, let's get the fucking word out, guys. All right, we love you. See you next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien, and our associate producer, Christina Chamberlain. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun!